Good morning, everybody. <clears throat> My wife's here so we can start this class on marriage. I had to make sure she, she was here so I didn't say anything wrong. Um, so thank you for being here this morning. <clears throat> Today is the third week of our, our four-week crash course on strong marriages. Um, it's obviously a topic that re- could require, could warrant a lot more time and a lot more in-depth uh, study and discussion, and if there's if there's a lot, enough interest, let me know, and I can we can easily get a, a, another class scheduled uh, coming up some, sometime soon. Just let me know. Um, so, as we know, marriage can be tough. Um, nobody's disputing that. Uh, and Jeff talked in the first class a couple weeks ago about how many of the marriages throughout the Bible are, you know, fraught with problems and had, they were rough and imperfect, but marriages are not impossible. And um, some people have to work very hard at their marriages, and some people, I'm not going to lie to you, just kind of comes sort of naturally. Just, just things click, things work out great. That does not mean those people don't have to work at things. Um, don't ever think that people, that, uh, that a marriage just goes without problems and no working at all. Um, so don't get lulled into that false sense of security, especially um, some of the folks younger married in this room. There's a couple here and there. Most of us in here are oldly married. I'm not sure if I'm... It's 20 years old, oldly married yet. Is it? I don't know. Getting there? Middle-aged married? Okay. Well, let me just go past that one anyway. Um, anyway, uh, but I, I do want to emphasize the fact that even though... Marriages, if, if you are in a marriage or if you know of a marriage that seems like it's on the edge, that it's going to fall apart, it, it is possible to salvage things. No matter how far things are down the road, it is possible to, to work at it. And um, so what Jeff did, and we've discussed this a few times, Jeff kind of went over the uh, kind of marriage from a biblical and a spiritual perspective and how, and I'll get into that in a little bit as a review but uh, I'm the today's class and next week is just going to be focusing hard hard on very practical, applicable things that you can do or not do in your marriage to help things move along better. Um, and I like like Jeff. I don't feel super qualified to teach on this subject. I I had classes when I was getting my ministry degree on counseling. I've never done proper marriage counseling. I've talked with a couple people had premarital counseling, things like that, but uh, I've also not had a lot of, really a lot of first-hand experience with bad marriages. And I guess I don't, you don't have to have had experiences with bad marriages in your life or in your relations to understand the problems or whatever, but I've been very blessed with a very relatively problem-free marriage. Things are great. Christy's a massive blessing to my life in many ways, and my parents are about to celebrate their 50th anniversary in February, coming up soon. Stay tuned for invites to the party that they don't know about yet. Um, and her parents are, are together. So I, I've not been a, a part of like personally dealing with divorce and that kind of level of strife. But I, I do have um, some really good practical information that uh, I've come across for you guys that I haven't come up with myself. Um, and although one thing that I always find interesting when I when I whenever I come across information, especially about relationships or just living life, 
And that, that information seems to be just like really good and super helpful and very on point. You look at it and it's, it may not be scriptural stuff, but it's definitely backed up by scripture. It's, it's almost like God knows how we work or something. And so the, the stuff I'm talking about is not going to be very, as I said, very Christian-centric, very biblical-centric. It's more of a practical thing. And that's kind of what some of these interlude classes are, more, are for anyway, is to kind of share some things like that. Uh, and I also want to, um, she probably doesn't want me to say anything, but I want to thank Becky Holton a lot for helping me with getting some information for this class. She's an actual counselor and has done this, and she probably should be teaching this class, but here we are. So you got me. Um, I do pray that you'll find something to take away from this class, not just, not just for you if you're in a marriage, but I think that this stuff we're talking about today especially is very applicable for anybody in any kind of relationship. Um, and that's parent-child, spouse, uh, neighbors, all things like that, and it can be very helpful. Um, but why we're talking about this, maybe it's just a given, but I wanted to hit the high points really quick of why we are discussing marriage in, in, in the church class today. Um, prevalence of marriage problems is high. This is something we all know. Some, some sad statistics that you've maybe heard before, but I'm going to make you sad again. The chance of a divorce ending over a 40-year period of a marriage is 67%. You've heard 50, it's, it's not... 50, it's just 67%. Half of all divorces will occur in the first seven years of a marriage. And the divorce rate for second marriages is is 10% higher than that, which is like extra sad. And the the kicker for me is that the rate is the same among Christians. This is not a non-Christian problem. This is a problem in, in the church, among believers, people who love God dearly, and people who don't love God dearly both have problems. And the reason is, marriages are made of people. We are broken people. Uh, if, if, if our hearts were where they should be, if our hearts were on, focused on God and focused on Christ and each other, maybe we wouldn't have these, have these problems, but we still... You, know, you put any two people in a, in a room together, much less in a house together for long periods of time, you're going to have these issues. Um, and uh, with stats like this, I think that it makes sense for every married person to actively work on their marriage. This is not something that you like. You don't work on your marriage until there are problems. It's you, you work on it all the time, no matter what. Um, so, as I said earlier, please don't feel like you can just float along and assume that since you both love God, you don't need to focus on your marriage. I also don't think I need to convince you of the importance of marriage. I mean, marriage is important. I also probably don't need to convince you of the fact that a good marriage is important, but I'm going to do that really quickly anyway. Um, <clears throat> uh, like I said, Jeff talked about the first couple weeks uh, about the spiritual aspects of things uh, as far as a marriage goes. He talked about the sacred relationship that's created when we enter into a marriage. Uh, the overwhelming value of that relationship, not only with each other, but how it relates to God. He talked about how marriage represents... Christ and his church, that analogy is used throughout scripture uh, as far as us being the bride of Christ. And the incredible love that Christ has for us, that he gave all of himself for us, is how we should be behaving with each other in a, in a marriage relationship. That's, that's the love 
and the depth of relationship that our marriages should reflect. And it's honestly, it's difficult to overemphasize the importance of your marriage and your spiritual life. Suffice it to say, if you are in a marriage, it's the most important spiritual relationship you will have on this earth. Um, your marriage relationship will, will impact, not might, it will impact your soul on every level and can pull you away from God just as easily as it can pull you toward God if you're not working on it. So don't underestimate the weightiness of this. And if you want, I'd like to recommend this, this book to you if you want to read up, if you want to read up on more on the spiritual aspects of marriage. This is a book by Francis Chan and his wife Lisa called You and Me Forever, Marriage in the Light of Eternity. And uh, the, some people who have reported back after reading this to say that's kind of an intense book, and it is, because it's Francis Chan. But, um, but it, it's got some really great stuff about how to look at each other as servants of God and how serving God together, as we talked about in Jeff's class a couple weeks ago, serving God together can really bring you together as a, as a couple and closer to Him. So from the... The phys- so that's the spiritual side. So from the very physical, worldly side of things, some fascinating stats that people in unhappy marriages are 35% more likely to get infectious diseases. Who knew? I guess it's all the, all the cortisol and stress hormones flowing through your body really lower your immune system. And your lifespan is shortened by an average of eight years if you're in an un- unhappy marriage. It's not talking about divorce. This is just unhappy marriage. Um, and not to mention children. We, we talk a lot about how sad it is when, like, when we hear about a, a couple getting a divorce. We're like, did they have kids? And that, that's heartbreaking if there are children involved in a divorce. But even in an unhappy marriage, kids are, when kids are involved, kids are around that all the time. They're feeling that pressure. They're feeling that stress. And... The studies show that their their hormone, stress hormones are through the roof as well. Excuse me, through the roof as well, and it's rough on them. Um, as if you needed more reasons to not work on your marriage. Um, but and like I said, this doesn't even impact the uh, address the impact of divorce. But one thing I do want to talk about briefly is how the divorce isn't the only way to end a marriage. You can some people end a marriage obviously literally by getting a divorce and separating and no longer being in that relationship legally. But other marriages are still legally there. You're together, but they're effectively a dead marriage. And they stay together, but leave. But they lead parallel lives. Um, and this is something that I would like us as a church to really take to heart, because Often when marriage is talked about amongst Christians, we immediately jump to whatever happens, don't get a divorce. Because we know, you know, God hates divorce, and rightly so. But what I want to emphasize is that, it's a, to, me it's, to me it's a very low bar just to not get divorced. We need to reach further than that and try to have good and healthy and meaningful relationships between us and our spouse. Don't just stay, to, stay together for the sake of staying together. I mean, going back to this comparison between uh, Christ and the church and a marriage relationship, God does not want you just to show up at church just to show up at church and say the words and take the piece of cracker and the juice and all that stuff. That's not why, that's not what he wants in a relationship with us. 
He wants a deep, meaningful relationship. He wants love, and he wants devotion, and submission, and attention. All these things that we need in a, in a marriage. So don't, don't just think that staying together is enough. Please work, work on it and do more than that. Um, when we get to talking about marriages, we have a lot of questions. Um, why is marriage so tough at times? Why do life, some lifelong relationships click while others just tick away like a time bomb? Uh, how can you prevent a marriage from going bad or rescue one that's already in trouble? And on and on and on. But I, I want to ask you guys, why just... Why is marriage so tough at times? I mean, I love my spouse deeply with all my heart. And I, you love me too, right? Okay, good to. Um, it goes both ways. But why, if, if we have this love, and, and especially in a Christian situation when you have this devotion to God as well, <clears throat> why is it so tough at times? I'll ask you. Yes. So tr- trying, trying to mold, excuse me, mold your spouse instead of letting God do the molding. Okay. Yeah, Chuck. Even when we have the same foundation of, of spiritual focus, our ways of going about it should be very different from one another. It's not a whole lot different than our viewpoint toward God. That God has a whole different. <clears throat> Yeah, I do think that a lot of the, a lot of the aspects of having a good relationship with a spouse do di- directly transfer to having a relationship with God. Like you said, did you say that so? Chuck said pretty much what I was going to say. Even though we are striving for the same goal and we're heading in the same direction, sometimes we have very different ways of going about. Yeah, like there are many routes from our house to this church building, exactly. and Christy takes one, I take one. If if everything's going well, she'll take the one I think she should take. <clears throat> but the, we, there are differences in opinion. Yeah. I think we've come to understand love as a passive emotion. Okay.
Yeah, this idea of that active, that love is passive is very, I think, very key to a lot of the marriage problems that are around because we've, we've assumed that if love is there, then everything just works out. But realizing that love is an active thing, is purposeful, takes, takes effort and time and, and meaning behind everything that you do, that, that changes the whole perspective completely because everything that you approach is going to be a little bit different. Um, <clears throat> so, like I said, the, the, the source of information for this class is not my decades of experience, um, but I, the, I, I got a lot of great stuff from uh, uh, several books. Uh, for, for this couple classes, I think I read like four or five books and talked to lots of folks, and the, the best thing that I came across was this book that I'm going to be sharing a lot of information from. It's by John Gottman. It's called Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work. <clears throat> and uh, it's, like I said, it's not from a quote-unquote Christian perspective. But re- like I said, reading through it, and I found, recently, I found out recently that Gottman is a very devout Jewish man himself. And so he comes from a godly perspective in a lot of, in a lot of ways. Um, but the, the things in it are, are rock solid. And he, John Gottman, one, one reason I like it is, is it's a very scientific uh, take on marriage. I, I like things like that. Um, there's heart in it too, trust me. Uh, but what, he's a pioneer in the field of marriage research. Um, before, he, before he came along, most, there was not a lot of really research on marriage, like, how, like what kinds of marriage therapies work, how can marriages improve, stuff like that. It was, just wasn't there. Um, but he was a pioneer in that, and he, he was the first one, one of the first to do actual clinical studies on married couples. And uh, he didn't start out with just assumptions of uh, how things worked. He, he, he started with a bunch of couples that, uh, uh, that had great marriages and s- locked them in a room and put, hooked them up to wires and things like that and asked them to argue about stuff and tracked the, the couples who were happy, happy couples and how they argued and unhappy couples and how they argued and... Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of couples later, he came up with this this information, um, and it's gotten to the point where he and using his his data, he and his his team can predict divorce ninety one percent accurate with ninety one percent accuracy, like ten years ahead of time. Um, and but the nice thing about this is that using these principles, they have an eighty to ninety percent repair success rate, which is huge. Um, but especially knowing that traditional marriage counseling has about a 20% success rate, which is not great. So 80, 80, 80 is more than 20. That's all you need to know. <clears throat> um, and exactly why his therapy methods are so successful, we'll talk about a little bit next week. But, you know, the place to start with solving any pro- problem is to really understand the problem. And... <clears throat> As I, as I said, he, he, he can predict the accuracy very highly, um, like 90% or, or above. And he does this by watching people deal with their differences. Now, everyone has... Jeff mentioned last week how he and Melinda never have fights. Everybody has disagreements, though, and, and they, no matter who you are. Your, your level of definition of fight may be different than you know, like another couple's measure, definition of fight. Um, so... But he found that by watching people with their disagreements and their fights, he can really figure out what's going on and get to the core of the problem. Um, 
And he found out that it's not the problems that we have as a married couple that lead to unhappiness and divorce, because we all have problems. It's how you address those problems together or separately or however it works out that, that is really the key. <clears throat> and in his book, he, he goes over this whole process uh, like from beginning to end, how he identifies the likelihood of divorce. But he, at the core of it are four behaviors I wanted to share with you guys this morning. And that's this is the, the, the most of the, the class today. He calls them the four horsemen of the marriage apocalypse. And they, just like the four horsemen in Revelation, they kind of portend the coming of, the, of death, the death of the marriage. And so they are, um, the four horsemen are behaviors in, in relationships, and they are criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. And I'll go over what those mean in a second, but what I, I do want to say is all of these things are present in probably everybody's marriage at one time or another. Um, just because you experience one of these issues in your marriage once in a while does not mean you're one of the 91% or that he's predicted to divorce or whatever. That's not what that means. It just means that you're a person dealing with another person. Um, the, the problem arises when these things become core to your relationship and they, they're repetitive and they're constant and consistently coming up. And this is just how you interact with each other. That's, that's the problem. And so um, the fact that they're there is not, is not a, a doom and gloom thing. But we should do everything we can to weed these out of our relationships. We'll get to that a little bit next week. So today is like, here's what not to do. Next week is, here's what to do. <clears throat> so the Chris criticism, his definition of this is, it's different than a complaint. A complaint is, there are complaints in marriages, okay? You forgot to fill up the gas in the car. Can you please fill up the gas in the car? That's a complaint. A, comp- a criticism is adding any is uh, stating a complaint as an attack on someone's personality. It's like it something about your the core of your humanity is the reason the gas didn't get filled up in the car, <laughs> right? I mean that's an extreme thing. Save it. Uh, things like statements like you always talk about yourself. You're so selfish. You are so fill in the blank. You are this way. You are this way. Or any complaint that ends with, what is wrong with you? You didn't fill up the gas in the car. What is wrong with you? You didn't take out the trash again. What is wrong with you? And it's that sentiment, that feeling that, that, that comes from the, the, the bad side of your heart that says something is broken in you as a person, not, I made a mistake. Everybody makes mistakes, but you are broken. So complaints that can turn into criticisms. I, I thought about having dramatic readings from couples, but I didn't want to. <laughs> I didn't want to imply that they're it, whatever. You know, so just pretend. So a complaint would be like, "I'm really angry that you didn't sweep the kitchen last night. We agreed to take turns. Could you please do it now?" That's completely fine to say. A criticism of that same situation is. Why are you so forgetful? I hate always having to sweep the kitchen floor when it's your turn. You just don't care. See the difference and it just hurts more. Um, I Complaint. I need you to check with me before inviting anyone over for dinner. I wanted to spend time with you alone tonight. I want us to schedule a romantic evening this week sometime. Criticism. Why do you keep putting your friends ahead of me? I always come last on your list. You're avoiding spending a lot of time alone with me, aren't you? 
So, obviously, it can lead to a very toxic, toxic relationship. When you're attacking the person instead of just saying, this thing is bothering me, like, there's a problem with the situation, here's what we'd like to, I'd like to do about this. That's a complaint, and that needs to happen. Because if you cover those kinds of things up too much, you're going to have boiling resentment and so forth over time. What we need to avoid is trying to attack the person with criticism and saying something about you is broken. <clears throat> Contempt is the greatest predictor of divorce Gottman has found. And it's the, the worst one of the four horsemen. Um, and it's, it's, very, it's a very thing very on the offense. It's um, statements that come from a relative position of superiority. If you are contemptuous, you have this air of, I am better than you in whatever way, or you are less than in some way. So it's, kinda, it's another attack on that person directly in, in some ways. It includes some of the, the, hit, the greatest hits, such as sarcasm, cynicism, name-calling, eye-rolling, sneering, mockery, hostile humor. It's things that we sometimes think are, we're trying to be funny, but we're really just being a jerk to our spouse. Um, statements like, quit being so stupid. Or, um, oh, I'm so sure you forgot to tell me about it. Totally an accident. Or, you're such a ditz. Ooh, ooh, look at me. I'm so perfect. You know, not, not a good thing to say. Um, if you would just think once before buying useless junk. I'm not made of money. Uh, yeah, I absolutely love spending time with your work friends. Thanks so much for saying we'll go. Oh, I totally forgot you're the parenting expert. Please enlighten me. What should I do? So you get the idea. It's this attitude of, I'm better than you. Quit being such an idiot. And it's, this contempt is so, so dangerous. And like I said, it's the greatest predictor of divorce, and this has got to go. If you are finding yourself in any way, shape, or form being showing contempt to your spouse or anyone in your life, please do not be a person that shows contempt. And you can tell when someone's showing contempt because it looks like they just smelled a dirty diaper. They're like, kind of like one of their side of their lip kind of goes up. And, like, and then they say something to you. It's, let's not do that. So I, th- I think you can uh, get why this would be so bad for a marriage. Because the more you say this kind of stuff to someone and the more you show this attitude, what you're saying is... You are not worthy of me. You are not worth my time. You're not worth my attention. You're not worth my love. And so, why should I bother with you? And that, that eats away at the heart of your love for each other. And it eats away at that person's self, sense of their self. You do this kind of stuff enough, they're going to start hating themselves. And they're not going to want to be around you because every time they're around you, they start hating themselves. It's, it's a vicious cycle. So the third horseman is defensiveness. And what this is, is self-protection in the form of righteous indignation or innocent victimhood. So the first two horsemen are, are offensive, and they're offensive, but they're also offensive. And the second two are defensive, uh, def- defensive behaviors. So in this one, 
maybe the one spouse has been using criticism and contempt so much that the other guy wants, or gal, let's be fair, uh, wants to kick back. And the, it's like we all have this biological fight or flight response when we're, we feel attacked. We, we either fight, this is the fight, and the next, the next worst one is the flight one. But this is the fight back one. And what it really comes down to is just an underhanded, underhanded way of blaming your spouse back. Like, this thing went wrong. Well, it's not my fault, it's your fault. Very, very defensive, throwing it back in their face. <clears throat> so examples like, it's not my fault we're always late, it's your fault we're late. You took the wrong route to church, Chris. I mean, uh, <laughs> just kidding. She always takes the right route. Uh, uh, another one is, I was just too busy today. You know what my schedule's like. Why didn't you just do it? Or how was I supposed to know? You didn't tell me. Not my fault. Or if you'd just give me a chance once in a while, maybe it would work out. Um, so to some people, this may not seem that horrible because you're just trying to stand up, stand up, for, your, excuse me, stand up for yourself and uh, like not be a doormat or whatever. But... Kicking this back in their face is you're just fighting back, and it just perpetuates the problem. And the last one is um, stonewalling. This is of the fight or flight. This is the flight. And often you're in in the car together or in the house together, so you can't literally get up and run away. Sometimes this does take the the does look like actually running away and going to a different part of the house or whatever. but this is basically this is emotional withdrawal from the interaction. It's like it has become so intense and so disturbing and so frustrating that you feel like you can't do anything else, so you just shut down. And you you're checking out in order to protect yourself from the danger. Um, this is primarily men who are the stonewallers in the relationship. Eighty-five percent of men are, of the stonewallers are men. Not eighty-five percent of men are stonewallers, but you know what I mean. And this just this is kind of comes from a biological fact that women when when women are stressed out they can come down from the stress a lot faster. Guys, when you're stressed out or like upset, you can't get down from the upsetness as fast. We just the way our bodies and the hormones work. And so, this when someone's stonewalling, they're not like relaxing and just like letting things bounce off them. The 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 the, the uh, studies that they did. A guy's blood pressure is higher. The beats per minute is like above 100, spiked through the roof. But he's sitting there still, letting things bounce off him. And this happens with women too. Uh, it's not just the guys. But this is an attempt, like, just let it stop. Just make this go away. If I just wait long enough, she'll stop or he'll stop or whatever. And what the problem with this is that you may feel like you're trying to stop the, the, the conversation, but if, if I'm having a conversation with somebody and they, they start stonewalling me and they like pretending that I give me the silent treatment, I, I want to finish this conversation. And it ramps me up and it's like this cycle and the, the just, stone, just keeps spiraling. Think, and saying things like, fine, I don't care. Whatever you want. I'm done. And sitting back and just ignoring anything else that goes on. Or forget it. Having this huge, huge argument or whatever about the kids and like, forget it, I don't care anymore. When they do care, but they've gotten to the point where they, they've given up trying to fix the problem. 
And that's the problem. They have given up trying to fix it, and the other side knows this, and it just ramps things up and it spirals out of control again. And like I said, it's just a silent treatment. And this is, is a... This horseman um, usually comes later in a marriage or a relationship because it takes time for the negativity to build up from the first three over, time, over the span of a relationship to get to the point where a person feels like their only way out of, this, of the, the topic or the conversation is to just shut off. So often newly, newlyweds don't have stonewalling issues, but oldlyweds sometimes do. Um, so keep, keep uh, on top of that uh, and watch that. I want to show a video really quick, and this is why I've been kind of rushing through this a little bit. Uh, it'll bring us mostly to uh, just about to the end of the class. But this is actually, um, it's like a clip from the Anderson Cooper show, I guess. Uh, I don't watch it, I just found it on YouTube. And it, it, he's interviewing John Gottman, uh, who wrote this book, and he's talking about the Four Horsemen. And one reason I wanted to show this is he, he actually shows clips from his, he calls it the Love Lab, the, where he had couples in the lab and like videotaping them with, you see all the monitors and stuff on their bodies. And like watching them argue, and so he gives actual examples, and, and so I thought it was pretty instructive. So let's watch this real quick. You, you say that there are four negative patterns that can predict divorce, and I think this is really critical yeah. for, for folks to, to watch. We're going to show some videotapes of couples that Dr. Gottman and his associates have interviewed, and we're going to look at specific things they do in fights, which frankly I think a lot of people do. I think a lot of people in the audience are going to notice things that maybe they do. Uh, a lot of you at home are going to notice things. The first one is criticism. Take a look at this example. Is that your way of dealing with everything? You don't do it. You don't want to do it, you don't do it. It's like doing your chores. You want What are you doing to make the chore thing change? You know, like you want, you want that to run differently where they do more chores. What kind of planning have you and time have you spent fixing it? Or you just keep telling me you want it to run differently. All right, so criticism. Anyone in the audience use criticism in an argument? Yeah, okay, over here. Only one person being honest over here. <laughs> Everyone else is lying. That's right, I want to tell the whole world that I'm critical. All right, no. so, but, but you find, in noticing, looking at that, you, you notice something you do as well. It looked like me. It looked like you. And I wanted to be, uh, yeah. And I wanted some tips to, you know, fight fair and be nice. And I think you helped when you said it's the same um, what did you say with your wife? It was the same complaint, but you right. just... I just said it in a way she could hear it. Exactly. Right. And why is criticism so dangerous to a relationship? Well, it's, it's really uh, a way of fueling the attack. So you state your complaint as an attack on the other person. And what you're going to get back is you're not so perfect either, <laughs> or an innocent victim kind of response. And so it's just not constructive. It winds up just, you know, leading to an escalation of the conflict. Because you're really saying, you know, as far as I can tell, I'm, I'm really pretty close to perfect. But you are defective. <laughs> and the answer you're going to get is you're you, not so sound, perfect. You, sounds familiar? Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, I hope that helped. Um, you say another divorce predictor is contempt. Yes. I find this one really fascinating. Let's take a look at this tape. Yeah, but a lot of the time, I already know what you're going to say. Well, it'll be all right. Well, we'll get through it. Well, we'll make it. It'll be okay. Well, I love you. I'm behind you. 
All right. So that guy wouldn't even get up, by the way. He was, he was so contemptuous. He was just laying back. So why is that so toxic? Well, it's, he's mocking her, right? So he's acting superior to her. And not only is contempt our best predictor of divorce in gay and lesbian relationships as well as heterosexual ones, because it's really this air of superiority. It's sulfuric acid for love. If you don't have respect in a relationship... Sulfuric acid for love. It really is. I mean, you need respect in a relationship. And contempt is disrespect. And it's also a predictor of how many infectious illnesses his wife is going to have in the next four years. It erodes the immune system. Wait a minute, what? Really? It erodes the immune system. Contempt erodes the immune system? Absolutely. Wait, you you say you you use contempt. Yes, I do. I agree with, with him. Fully, because my husband's a geneticist. He's Australian. They don't like arguments. That's why they have a shed, uh, you know, they in the, go back, in the they... back so they can hide when there's an argument. Uh-huh. Um, so that, that triggers contempt, and I, I continue having contempt. And over the years, I've, you know, become ill. I've had an immune system uh, problem. Yeah. It's amazing to me that, that something like contempt can have physical... Uh, yeah. Repercussions. Yeah, and uh, in, at Ohio State University, uh, Jan Kiko Glazer and Ron Glazer have documented how T lymphocytes don't proliferate as much. Natural killer cells, which are cytotoxic against tumors, are not as effective in a relationship that has contempt and criticism. Let's look at the third predictor uh, of divorce's defensiveness in arguments. Take a look. What do you mean I'm always watching TV? I'm working. Can I watch the news? You're always watching TV and the kids. No, the TV show. I can't, I can't watch a little bit of TV. Yeah. So, Dr. Gottman, defensiveness, why is that so toxic? Well, the reason it's so toxic is that people are not taking responsibility for a part of the problem. And when people, when the masters of relationships, instead of being defensive, take responsibility and say, well, so what's your point? I mean, it makes some sense what you're saying. Tell me more and they take responsibility for even a small part of the problem, then, you know, you're kicking around the problem together. It's like you're playing soccer and kicking a ball around together. You're a team working on this joint problem. The, and, the, yeah, so defensiveness gets in the way of that. Right. And the fourth one, the fourth predictor is, is stonewalling. Take a look. We all know what that is. Right. Um, I mean, is any one of these things a predictor of divorce? Yeah, all of them sort of ride together. They're the four horsemen of the apocalypse. You know, they're like in the book of Revelations. You know, they spell the end of days. And uh, and stonewalling is really interesting because when we interview people who stonewall, 85% of our stonewallers in heterosexual couples are guys. And... And what predicts stonewalling is a heart rate above 100 beats a minute. And also, when we interview them about what they're thinking, they're really trying not to make it worse. They're saying to themselves, just shut up, you're going to make it worse. How long can she go on like this? She'll burn herself out. (laughs) Ten minutes to the game, she can't touch me then. (laughs) So the stonewaller is really trying to calm down and not make it worse. But when you're faced with somebody who's silent like that, you escalate. So it's a very destructive pattern. Okay.
So we're, we're kind of out of time today, but um, how, how do you stop doing these things? Well, it's kind of like G.I. Joe says, knowing is half the battle. Um, does anybody remember that? It's just me. Thanks for one laugh. I appreciate that. Knowing, seriously, knowing, it, knowing about these things and just being aware that they could be in, in your relationships and your conversations helps a lot. We'll talk next week. With, uh, we'll, we, next week we're going to get into um, the uh, the seven principles that make marriage work. Actually, to like mostly the just about three of them to, is due to time. But just keep an, uh, during this week, keep an eye out for these conver- these in your conversations. And like I said, not just with you and your spouse, kids as well. Uh, I see a lot. Uh, sadly, I see a lot of parents with uh, the contempt is a, is a bad one with. Parents and their kids, because you feel like you're superior to your kids in a lot of ways, and that gets defensiveness back and forth. And it's not a parenting class, so I'll leave it at that. But um, these these behaviors are they can be toxic to any relationship, especially a marriage one. So what I want to say is, uh, any marriage is not over till it's over, and there is hope. Like I said at the beginning of this class. Um, Salvation is a very is a key part of what we what we talk about in this building. It's a very key part of my life, my salvation of my soul, and I think the salvation of marriage is possible as well. And so, keep that in mind. Don't don't give up. Um, if you know people who are feeling like they're on the edge of giving up, let them know that it's not impossible. Um, and so, next week we're going to talk about what these seven principles are and how this is in specific ways. Um, and so I, as far as this book goes, I'm going to use some of the uh, adult ed budget to buy several of these books, and we'll make them available for people to check out and read and, and borrow if you want to, because I, I really feel like they're important. There's a lot of really great like quizzes and um, steps, like step-by-step things to do, very actionable items in that for everybody, no matter if, even if your marriage you think couldn't be better, I still recommend reading the book. So uh, we'll, we'll stop the class for now and head on into worship. Thanks.